little baby. Um, but good morning. It's really great to have you all here this morning. Why don't we, uh, why don't we open in prayer as we've um, just heard the word. Now we're about to unpack the word so that we can go and live the word. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is not just ink on paper, but your word is life. It is spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here right now. We pray that you would lead us into truth. I pray that we would be transformed by your truth. I pray that your truth wouldn't just be an idea, but it would change us from the inside out. So we could represent you well in our community. Father, your word says that we would be known by our love for one another. So we ask, Father, we want to receive more of your love so that we can represent your love and love those around us. We thank you for what you're about to do this morning. Great. Well, we're um, continuing our series of Becoming, and uh, the tagline there is, is Finding Jesus in One Another. And the idea here is that uh, the Scripture is full of, uh, well, especially the New Testament, one another commands, that we would love one another, encourage one another, uh, honor one another. There's about 60 of these commands to one another, one another. And uh, Jesus said that this is how we would be known as his followers, by how we love one another. And so we've got to see this as like, this is the primary purpose of the church, that we would one another, one another. And so we've been exploring that over the last few weeks. um, And we're talking about about how the, the fact that as we love one another, we are becoming more like him. We are becoming more like Jesus as we love one another. And so we're, we're looking at, at this idea of becoming, that we are becoming something, that we have become something in Jesus. We are becoming something. And one day when he returns, we will become the fulfillment of that. And that's pretty exciting. But in the here and now, we get to taste and see, we get to experience, and we get to show the world what it looks like. Amen. So uh, a few weeks ago, I asked a question, um, you know, have you ever thought about what does God want? We, we generally spend most of our life uh, focused around the ideas of what we want, what we want out of life, what, what we want to do, what suits us, what's comfortable for us. But have you ever asked the question, what does God want? What does He want? What is it that He wants in our church, for our church and through our church? What does He want for our community? What's His desire for your life as an individual? And how does that connect our, to His desire for, uh, for our community of faith? And, and how does... Uh, his desire for you connect to our togetherness. Well, what is God up to in the world and how does he want you to participate in what he is doing? Now, I think it's interesting that, you know, so often we sort of invite God to be part of what we're doing. Um, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Like we needed to invite him or something, you know, like, like no, we should be just thankful that we get to be a part of what he is doing. And so have you ever asked the question, what, What is it that he wants? Is there a greater purpose to this all than just going to heaven when we die? I would like to suggest that there is. See, there's this um, this sort of theme throughout scripture, this idea of a remnant. 
Um, and, and so we see throughout Scripture that, that God sets apart a people, a remnant of people who will, who will live as the faithful, reconciling presence of Jesus in a community, a, a people who are called out from and set apart on behalf of, for the benefit of. So we're talking about people who are called out of the world to go back into the world and love it like Jesus. So we're called out from, on behalf of, for the benefit of all humanity. And, and so Peter, in this passage that we looked at this morning, he describes this. He, he says that, that these set-apart people are living stones and are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so even though we are individually living stones, we are individual, individually living stones. God, God's spirit has come alive in each of us individually. Um, we cannot build something of significance on our own. Actually, it's in our togetherness that we are able to become part of something that is significant. It's what God is doing in us together that is actually important. He, he's building something out of us together. A stone actually has no purpose until it finds its place in the building and togetherness. And, and so I'd like to suggest that there is a purpose to gathering. You may have come here this morning. All of us have probably come for very different reasons. But I would hope at the center of all of our reasons is that we have gathered for the same purpose, and that's Jesus. That, that we have gathered because, because we are part of a community of people who have not only committed and devoted our lives to God, but also devoted our lives to one another. That, that we are coming for a, for a bigger purpose than just so that I can feel good in worship. That there is something bigger to all of this that is going on. So there is a greater purpose for the church. Jesus said he's looking for a pure and spotless bride, a, a called out, set apart from on behalf of kind of people. So the word ecclesia, which is the, the Greek word for church, literally means called out ones. So the church are the called out ones. We are called out of the world to go back into the world and love it like Jesus. To be and to continue to become the lived out expression of the image of God on the earth. Isn't that good news? So, so in this age of, of secularism, um, you know, where we're, where we're called out from, um, and, and it's really hard, really easy for us uh, in the current age of where secularism is at its all-time high, that we can start to get um, this perspective that it's our role to call out the world. Now, we are called out from the world. See, we are not the mor morality police, we are a moral remnant. We are not the holiness police, we are a holy remnant to be the image of God in our communities. See, this is the original vocation of all humanity. It was the vocation of the Israelites, and it's now the vocation of the church. So Peter said, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. See, Peter is echoing the vocation of the Israelites and the mandate given to them at Mount Sinai. So that, that same passage that we've read this morning, Peter is actually quoting what God said through Moses to the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai, that they would be a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a, a chosen and, a, and a, 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 sorry, God's special possession. This is exactly what God said to the Israelites. 
And so now as New Testament believers, we are ambassadors of a new and living way, ambassadors of a better kingdom. And so um, you, you may be new to, uh, to Awaken, but um, here at Awaken, we are, we are really passionate about the theology of the kingdom. We are a kingdom-based church. We, we believe that the church does not exist to build itself, but the church exists to, to extend the kingdom. The church exists to bear witness to the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And, and so um, I, I think it's a really good question for us to ask, well, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? The Bible talks lots about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom? And, and so the kingdom is anywhere that Jesus' supreme rule and reign exists. And, and so as disciples of Jesus, we are people who have simply, through mutual encouragement and provoking one another onto it, love and good works, that, that we are actually encouraging one another to place every area of our life under the rule and reign of God. That we are, we are encouraging one another to bring every part of our lives under the supreme rule and reign of, of a redeeming and loving God. And, and so someone who is living in the kingdom is someone who has positioned every part of their life under his rule and reign. And I think um, you know one of the really important ones, and one one that uh, Jesus emphasised a lot, is is um, is this idea of what we do with with our money. And you know, there's lots of different areas that we can talk about, but it's a really easy one, a, a practical one for us to get our heads around. But when we have put our our finances under the authority of Jesus, then we are actually dismantling the spirit of mammon over our life. And so what we do is we actually bring our, bring our finances under the rule and reign of Jesus, and now our finances get to part, be, be a part of the kingdom in operation. And, and so what happens, discipleship is just me saying, well, every part of my life needs to be under the redeeming rule and reign of Jesus. So a sexuality needs to be under the redeeming rule and reign of Jesus. What I do with, it, with my money needs to be under the redeeming rule. What I do with my relationships needs to be under the rule of Jesus. Like every part of our life, there, there is nothing that is not a discipleship issue. Everything is a discipleship issue. And so we bring those things under the rule and reign of Jesus. And now we get to participate in and receive the benefits of participating in this kingdom. And we demonstrate a better way. There is a better, we show the world there is a better way to live, think, and act. There's a better way to steward finances than just making it about what I can have. There's a better way to live with how we deal with relationships. And we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, but so throughout this letter from Peter, he continues to remind the reader to leave behind the wicked ways of how we used to live because they are actually working against God's redemptive plan. They are working against the kingdom. They are taking us back into chaos, destruction, and disorder. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, so the book of Revelation is this continual reminder that we are called out from the empire, not to compromise with the empire, not to give in to its seduction and, and comfort and wealth and power, and, and to be weary of the seduction of sexual immorality and lust. See, Peter says, once you were not a people, and now you are a people, a people of God, that's what he says, a people who are not swayed by religious or political ideologies, a people who are not swayed by a progressive uh, agenda to dismantle the image of God and the identity of humanity. 
are people who are not swayed by the lure of the empire of seduction of individualism, consumerism, and materialism. And I, I, I honestly, I think um, th- there's a lot of fear at the moment, I think, about what is happening in our world. There's a lot of fear, especially in the Christian community, a lot of fear about what governments are doing and you know, uh, that there is a progressive agenda going on and, and all this stuff. Um, I, I would like to suggest that, that we are actually feeling the pullback of a wave. If you look throughout history, you see that secularism actually rises and falls. It rises and falls. And, and what happens is it's fe- it feels like the, the tide of faith is actually drawing back. You know, has anyone ever noticed that a wave, it actually draws back and it goes shallow and then it, it, gets, it gets height and then it comes crashing back in? I, I feel like we are on that pullback right now where it seems like less and less people are wanting to be part of a church, less and less people are wanting to follow Jesus. Um, but what it actually is, is as it gets shallow, Jesus is saying there's a remnant. There's a remnant who are going to be the faithful, reconciling presence of Jesus. And it's going to, I, I believe that wave is going to, is going to rise. And I believe that secularism, uh, the world is realizing that secularism is failing. It's failing our young people. It's failing our, our most vulnerable. Uh, but what, what the world needs to see is a group of people, a called out ones, called out ones who are, who are set apart on behalf of, for the benefit of all humanity, who are saying there is a better way to live, think, and act in our world. And it's called the kingdom of heaven. Right? And society will see. See, we don't need to be the mor- mor- morality police. We just need to be the moral remnant. Yeah? That is the vocation of the church. And that is the story of, of, of you know, if you can follow that theme right throughout scripture. Um, all right, uh, do I want to talk about that? Yes, let's talk about it. Okay, so some of, someone once said that um, a, a half-truth made a whole truth is heresy, or a half-truth made a whole truth is, is no truth at all. And, and I think what's, what's happening, I feel like anyway, and maybe it's just me, and maybe you can go, no, nah, Michael, it's just you, I've, I'm not seeing this. But I've, I feel like we are being pulled in two different directions. Um, if you look at, like, as far as like politics go, there, there is a greater distance between the right and the left than there ever has been. And what's happening is that, uh, this is what I believe, that there is like a, a, less, a leftist progressive ideology that has a twist of Christianity, and it's heretical. And then on the right, there is a far-right capitalist political ideology with a twist of Christianity, and it is heretical. See, while these two ideologies are at war against themselves, and they are both saying, you must pick a side. And, and I bet you've heard this, if you're not on my side, you must be on the other side. No, the church is called to the third way, the way of the kingdom. And when these ideologies inevitably fall, the faithful, reconciling presence of Jesus, the church who is faithfully, faithfully committed to love for God and love for one another, society will see there is a better way. See, the way of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven should actually offend both the right and the left. The politics of Jesus do not fit into the empires of, of political system. See, uh, uh, p- politics by very nature is a system of compromise. You have to make compromise. See, that's why Paul said to pray this way, for, for the kings, 
and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. See, the point is this, that revelation calls us to not be a compromising church. And if we try and fit the kingdom into a political ideology, we have to compromise somewhere. We're going to watch a video. Um, and this is uh, another Bible project video, which is brilliant. And it's about the image of God, and it's really good. Let's, um, are we ready for that? So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were oh. gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the god. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. But so he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes, gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods, and then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day -day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice, and humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. 
But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus's resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that. They also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their God. Good day. All right. So in, uh, in many church traditions, and you can also see it um, through scripture, there's this idea um, of the role of a priest. And um, you know, it's not something that, uh, that we do here. I don't wear a, a robe and all of that get up. Um, but in, ma- in many church traditions, um, they do. The, the, the pastor or the leader or whatever uh, is, is called a priest, and they wear, um, I don't even know what it's called. That's bad, eh? Is it called something? Robe. Um, they wear, and they've, you know, they've got the little white collar thing. <laughs> they, they, they wear that uh, because it's like a public uh, demonstration, or, or it makes it obvious to those around them that this is someone who has been set apart. And that's why it's white. Um, and so this is someone who has been set apart from, on behalf of, for the benefit of the rest of the community. And, and, and the idea, is certainly sh- through scripture, is that, that the priest would go into the temple on behalf of the rest of the community. He was a set apart person who would sanctify themselves and, and on behalf of the community, communicate with God. But, but Peter is saying that we are a priesthood of all believers, that, that we are all part of this royal priesthood, that, that each of us are a priest. So who are we a priest to? We, we are a priest to our community, in your workplace, in your school. Wherever you are, you are a priest. You are called out from on behalf of, for the benefit of your workplace, your school, wherever you are, you are a priest. And so uh, we are a royal 
priesthood, a royal priesthood. Um, sorry, I forgot to say at the start about questions. You can ask a question and I will attempt to answer them soon. The, the number is up on the screen there. Um, I have an article that I was going to read. It's rather long. I'll, I'll post it um, in our Facebook group and um, share it in our email this week. But um, just a really good um, article about um, the image of God. Um, but I'll, I don't have time to read it right now. So the question I think that we need to ask is how do we, how do we become the Imago Dei, the image of God? And, and how, how are we as a people becoming that for our community. How are we being a royal priesthood? I really love what Annette said last week, and if you weren't here last week, please, please go back and listen to Annette's message. Um, what I would suggest you do is put it on and lie down somewhere and just let her speak over you. Um, it was just a really, really powerful, powerful message. Um, it just, it's like the presence of Jesus just oozes out of her, eh? Just, it was just really great. So do that. But um, she said that a becoming people are a coming people. A becoming people are a coming people. That, that we become more like the one that we come to. We, we become like the one that we behold. And, and as we behold him, we become like him. And as we become like him, he is getting his reward. As we become like him, he is getting his reward. In the next couple of chapters, Peter goes on to say a couple of things. I just want to share those with you. He, he says this. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded and be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So one of the things that I think we can pick up from the narrative of Scripture is that that in the beginning, God used power to speak into what was disordered and chaotic and without form, and he, and he spoke, and in doing so, created something beautiful and ordered. And we as humans have been shared that power. As the video says, that God actually shared that power with us. Uh, we have the choice to use that power to follow him and to speak into what is chaotic and destructive and disordered and speak and bring beauty and order into our world. 
And as image bearers, that's what we would do. But each day we kind of have this choice, don't we? How are we going to use this power that has been shared with us? See, Peter continually says, and Paul and many of the other New Testament writers, that we have been given this freedom, but don't use the freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't use freedom for our, for our own selfish ambition. Because what we do is when we use this freedom and this power for our, for our own selfish ambition, we actually work against what God is doing on the earth. And instead of speaking and bringing beauty and order, we actually continue to speak and bring chaos and disorder. And, and so each time that the writers of the New Testament are saying, hey, love each other deeply, they're not just saying it because it's a nice idea. They're saying it because as you do it, you continue to become the image of God in the earth and you continue to carry on the, the, the kingdom project that God, that God is doing. And so we actually start to work with God by loving one another and loving our enemies. And when we don't, we are actually working against what God is doing on the earth. So at the foundation of the, of, of the kingdom are these ideas of, of, of righteousness, love, and justice. Righteousness, love, and justice. And um, Dallas Willard, he once said that um, it's not actually what a word means that is important. It's what we imagine those words to mean that's important. Because who knows that we can, you know, if, if I said, you know, these words righteousness, love, and justice, all of us in this room probably have very different ideas and imagine what those words actually mean. And so what it is that you imagine those words to mean is actually important because what happens is what we believe those words to mean is actually how we live out and represent those things. And so when it comes to God, we, we form our image of God and then our image of God actually forms us. And so it's really important that we actually have a, a, a right perspective on who God is, on his nature and his character. Because to be made in the image of God doesn't mean that God has a nose and eyes. Like we're not, it's not because I have a nose that I'm made in the image of God. It, it's about his nature and his character. The, the word image is actually a verb that we would be imagers. And so as we, as we represent the image of God on the earth, it's actually our lived out expression of the values and the nature and the character of God that, that we're talking about here. So what do these words love, righteousness, and justice mean? Well, the word righteousness, actually, uh, I heard N.T. Wright once say that if we really wanna understand righteousness in the Bible, then for every time we have the English word righteousness, we probably need a paragraph to unpack it because unfortunately in English, we have one word, uh, but in the Greek and the Hebrew, there's a whole lot of different words that have been used and they all have different ideas and meanings and context. But for the sake of this morning, uh, let, the word righteousness generally is this idea of right relationship. So it's right relatedness. Right relatedness with God, right relatedness with those around us. And, and as Jesus emphasized, uh, if you are in wrong relatedness with another brother, you are in wrong relatedness with God. So to say, I have right relationship with God, but then to turn and hate a brother, Jesus actually says, no, 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 they're the same thing. You cannot have hate for a brother and say that you love God. So, so right relatedness for one another is actually how we demonstrate our right relatedness with God. So, so righteousness is this word of, of this idea of right relate, relatedness. It's a, it's a right in being. So it's an inside out expression not an outside in, inside out. The word justice in the kingdom is restoring all things through reconciliation to their original identity and purpose. 
So both righteousness and justice in the kingdom remind us of original intent. What was God's original intent for human flourishing? What was his original intent for humanity? It was right relatedness with God and right relatedness with one another. See, justice is not about just making sure everyone knows who is right and wrong. That, that always has a selfish motive. Justice is not about vengeance. It's not about someone getting their just desserts. Is that a thing? Just desserts? That sounds kind of yummy, but I don't know. Justice, justice is reconciliation. See, the kingdom is not some sort of out there reality. The kingdom is firstly an inside out job. Uh, an individual who pursues kingdom first is in essence pursuing right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. And so justice is not someone getting what they deserve. Justice is reconciliation and restoration of the original intent. So, so you might be saying, Michael, and we're probably getting some questions coming in. Michael, what are you saying? That criminals shouldn't be punished? No, I'm not saying that. Further on in chapter two, it says this. This is why it's really important that we read everything in context. Further on in chapter two, it says this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was then? Nero. <laughs> you think you've got it bad now? No. When they hurled insults at, sorry, and later on it says this, referencing Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, when you are feeling that there is an injustice from the government, that Peter is actually saying that, that Jesus demonstrated that by not retaliating, he was showing trust in God. <laughs> Romans, Paul in Romans 13 explains that God has established governing authorities to bring judgment and punishment for crime so that we don't have to play that role. See, see when, when, so God has established the government to be the judge of the land so that the reconciling faithful presence of Jesus could continue without engaging in that. Have you ever considered that? So we can say that when that criminal who has done badly, the, 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 the government can, can bring justice to that person, justice will be done. But we, as the faithful reconciling presence, can look at that person and say, no one is unredeemable. We do not have to stand in the place of judgment. We can stand in the place of Jesus and say, that person is redeemable. Hope that makes some sense. <laughs> See, Peter knew that those never, that, who would never read the Bible will actually read our lives. So as by doing good, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So in every sense, love became justice on the cross. Love became sin so that we could be reconciled back to the Father. So love lays down its life for the restoration of right relationship. Are we doing okay? All right, let me bring this to a close, eh? Um, uh, I was listening to Peter McHugh the other day, and he was describing love like this. He said, love is a decision of the heart to delight in another, to will their good ahead of your own. 
Uh, Paul said something really similar. He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, One version that says, let each esteem others better than ourselves. You see, love is redemptive in purpose, nature, and outworking. It's always believing that there was an original intent for relationships. Love always wins, and trusting that love wins is trusting Jesus and his way. So I wanna ask you this morning, do you believe that there was an original intent for relationships? Because if we believe the narrative of scripture, we have to believe that there was an original intent for relationships. Right relatedness was always the plan. So the key question that we must ask whenever there is tension, whenever there is discord, whenever there is disagreements, whenever there is miscommunication, whenever we're offended, whenever there is arguments, whenever all of that stuff that is causing disunity is going on, there is a question that believers must ask before acting. What is love requiring of me? What is love requiring of me? How can I protect love in this situation? You see, when righteousness is reduced to to knowing right or being right, then we have entered the world's narrative of being rightness rather than the kingdom perspective of rightness and being. All right, questions? All right, uh, just a couple, uh, unless any others come through. So when is the right time to talk about repentance to someone or a group of people? Can you ask people to repent without pointing out their sins? Um, I probably need some, some context for, for that. Um, I, I think when it comes to our, our I, I'm not sure if we're talking about the world or in a, in a church community of faith, because that's a, there's a massive difference there. Jesus, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, and he said that that sin is unbelief. Yes, so, so that's the Holy Spirit's job. Um, and, um, and, and so when it comes to our church community, I think there definitely is a time where we, we should be um, you know, encouraging one another with repentance. But again, that has to be done in this aspect of truth and love. Um, and, um, and so what does love look like? We have to ask, if we want, are wanting to do that, we have to ask the question, what does love require of me in this situation? Because love is redemptive by nature. And, and so if, I, if I'm wanting to point out a brother's sin and call them to repentance, then it has to be done in a loving way that is redemptive by nature. And, and I, I think the first, the first act of love is to listen. So have you had a coffee with that person and said, tell me your story. Let me hear about your life. Let me have some context for why you might be acting in this way. And let me call you up into your original identity and purpose. That was a really good answer, but I had more context. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter evangelizing on the day of Pentecost or Jesus calling people to repentance. 
sorry, because it's a sort of an um, evangelizing question. When is the right time to talk about repentance to someone or a group of people? Can you ask people to repent without pointing out their sin? Um, yeah, I think, uh, again, like if you're evangelizing someone, you're sitting down and talking with them. Um, I think it's really important that you establish whether the person is a person of peace. Um, and, and you're going to notice that by the way that they're interacting with you. If someone's really closed off and they're just not wanting to have a bar of it, then just, just leave them. Look for the person of peace. Um, if you're talking to a group of people, um, you'll probably find that one person in that group will be really responsive to what you're talking about, and the rest of them might be a little real closed off. Just focus on that person, another person of peace. It's almost like God's peace is resting on them. It's like this is their moment. And, and so they're going to be a lot more open to you talking to them about, uh, about Jesus. And I, I think with, with regards to sin, um, the, I, I personally don't think that sin is the, is the issue. Unbelief is the issue. Sin is the result of unbelief. And, and so we, we, we're calling people into a trusting relationship with Jesus. Um, and so turning, turning, it's when someone repents, they're, they're actually turning away from their thinking, not their action, actions. To repent is to change your thinking. And just to tell someone to change their actions is like trying to control someone into heaven. No, no, we need to, we need to change, people need a, re, a renewed mind so that they can live out the expression of Jesus, not just change their actions so that they can go to heaven when they die. I hope that helps. Good, all right. Uh, so how do we get a right perspective of God? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think, uh, but for a lot of us, if you've grown up in the church, you probably need to do a whole lot of deconstruction. Um, and, and deconstruct some really unhelpful religious ideas about who God is. Um, and, and you need to get around people who are going to express his image in a really tangible way. Get around Annette, people like Annette, Doreen, you know, like there's people that this ooze the presence of Jesus. Get around those people. Um, also, come along to Awaken You when we do um, narrative theology uh, and when we, when we do the whole thing on identity as well because it, it is really important, but there, there possibly has to be some deconstruction before you can reconstruct with Jesus at the center. All right. Uh, what is the power we have as images of God? The ability to make choices and impact the world or a power to do, to do divine acts? Um, well, I, I think, a, a, oh, yeah, good question. Um, I think initially the power that, that we're talking about in Genesis is, is the, it, it's the power to make choices, either loving choices or choices that go against um, the nature of God. Um, and so that's initially it. Um, and, and then there's also the power, but it's not our power, it's the, it's the spirit of God within us to lay hands on someone and, and for them to be healed um, and, and that kind of thing as well. So, so it's both, um, but it's, it's, it's God's work at, in, at work in, within us, his power at work within us. Yeah. Last question, maybe. Uh, if the third way of living, becoming like Jesus and serving one another, another are we to become martyrs to spread love in a system that is broken how does this look like in practice yeah um if i'm being honest i i don't know whether we really 
have a good handle on this in the West. We, we don't have, we don't know what suffering is. Um, we think that when a comfort is taken away from us, that that's suffering or persecution. Um, and I honestly think we could learn so much from the persecuted church in this area, what it really looks like to be martyrs and to lay our lives down for Jesus. Um, yeah, we're, we're, so, we're offended so easily. You know, whenever our freedoms are, in, you know, someone's sticking on our freedom a little bit, we, we get very offended by that. Um, but I think, you know, when we think about these passages where Peter is writing and Paul and, you know, like they're saying, honor the emperor. The emperor is Nero. He was stringing up Christians and dipping them in tar and lighting them alight with streetlights. You know, honor the emperor. <laughs> I, I just don't know if we really understand what that all means. I, I don't. I don't have a good answer for that, to be honest. I'm just, I'm just trying my hardest to just be the faithful reconciling presence of Jesus um, and, and love one another and love him. There's a couple more that have come through, but should we answer them on the squadcast? Yeah, let's answer week? them on the squadcast tomorrow because we are running out of time. So if you want to um, hear a few more questions, we'll be doing that on the squadcast. So you can tune into that on um, where any good podcasts are found. All right. Our music team can come back and uh, we're going to gather around communion. Um, in Colossians 2... Um, there's this passage that talks about um, uh, about us being knitted together, about us being knit together. I, I'm going to look at it a little bit more next week. Um, but it says that we are to be knitted together in love. A- and so we, we, we have to, I guess, face the reality that without love, there is no real church. Without love, there is no real church. The, the methods of church, government and ritual are, are not what actually matter. Um, you know, these things, they look different. And in every church, the way that a church goes about expressing Jesus in their community looks different. And that's fine. The Bible's actually not, the Bible's really vague on how we're meant to do church because we're not actually meant to do church. We're meant to be the church. But the one mark that distinguishes a true church is love for God and love for one another. That's it. We can get all caught up in the other stuff. Oh, I don't like their worship. They're too blah, this, blah. No, no. It's irrelevant. What we, what we look for is love. And so we also have to face this reality that when love dies, the church dies. So we, we need to position ourselves as receivers of love. love for God, love for others. It's, it's that simple. Simple, but really hard to do too eh, at times. When we stand, and we, we're gonna gather around communion and we, we do this every week. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of Him. And, and, and we do this to remember the greatest act of love. 
See, love became justice on the cross. Love took on all of our offense, all of our pain, all of our guilt, all of our shame. Love let the world throw its worst at it on the cross. You know, if anyone had the right to not be on that cross, it was the one that went there. And then he calls us to follow him. See, this is, Jesus on the cross is not, he didn't die so that we wouldn't have to. He, he died as an example for us to follow, that, that we would follow him and lay down our lives like he did. And in doing so, show the world what love looks like. So let's this morning remember him. Let's take a moment to receive his love. Take a moment to thank Him, to be grateful. Yeah. Father, we just thank You. We thank You for Your love. We thank You that You have demonstrated a, a new and living way. I thank You that You have given us Your kingdom. And I thank You that this life that You've called us to, we, You have not called us to in our own effort. And in fact, to do it in our own effort is to walk away from you. You just call us to surrender. You just call us to lay down our lives like you did and receive your life. Receive your spirit. Receive your love. So that we can go and show this world what what you are like. I pray that in this community and in Upper Hutt, that together as a church, we would show Upper Hutt what you're like. That they would see the image of God in their workplaces, schools and communities, wherever we are. And I thank you that, is, that, that we are receiving your love as individuals, but we cannot fully display your image as individuals. It's only in the together that we can fully represent you. Only in the together. Yeah, so we thank you for what you have done on our behalf. bless you this morning. We praise you. We adore you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. So feel free just to come and take communion. If you want to receive ministry this morning, maybe there's something that you just would like prayer for. Just feel free to come after you've taken communion up the front and um, one, of the, one of the team will pray for you. But let's respond this morning. This is what worship is about now, responding to Him, responding to the message.